this church. Um, we are really, really grateful. Uh, and it is hard. It's hard for us to leave. Um, it's hard for us to leave this beautiful family. Um, but we, we uh, trust God for both us and you. So um, I just wanted to say that. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you please keep them open. Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you've been with us a few weeks, you'll know that we've been working through our, um, our values. We've been kind of reflecting on our values together, encountering God, loving deeply, living for the kingdom, and sharing Jesus. And actually, the, the order is, um, I think, is really great. It's really actually important because we begin with encountering God, don't we? Everything begins with God. Um, as we work through the, 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 the history of God's faithfulness to us, and to those who come before us, what we see is everything always begins with God. And so it's as we encounter him, we discover his love for us shown through Jesus, that we receive that love. Our hearts are filled with that love. We're able to actually to share that love, that we are then able to love deeply the way that Jesus loved us. And then having received that love and living out of that love, we are then able to live for the kingdom live prophetically, if you like, in uh, and amongst uh, a world uh, and to live in such a way that tells people that we believe the king is alive and with us. This kingdom has a king. His name is Jesus and he is with us and he speaks to us by his spirit today. He, he molds us and shapes us. And as we do that and as we live in this way that shows that there is, there is a kingdom, there is another kingdom, a, a better kingdom, another way of being human, that we are then able to share the good news, the gospel that Jesus has given us. And so we're picking up on our third value today, living for the kingdom. We started with encountering God. Last week we were thinking about loving deeply, and today we're thinking about living for the kingdom. And I, I just wanted to actually start with just two questions, okay? One of them is for you to take away with you and just maybe think about over the coming weeks. So my question is this. How do you hear Jesus? When you read your Bible and you're reading these stories of Jesus and you read the things that he says, how do you hear him? What tone of voice do you hear him use when he speaks to you? I want to give you an example from this passage, actually. Um, So where where Jesus is saying, and he's saying, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Look at the birds. Uh, Why do you worry about clothes? Um, And then he says, uh, will he, God the Father, not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. How do you hear that phrase? How do you hear that phrase? Do you hear Jesus speaking to you in an irritated way? In a frustrated way? In a critical way? In in an angry way maybe? Or just a disappointed way? Or do you hear him speak to you in this passage? Is it an invitation? Yeah? That I, so when I hear that phrase, uh, what I'm reminded of is with Samuel, I love calling him little man. He's my little man, Samuel. He's my little man. It's not a judgment. It's not a judgment on him that he's little. Because I know that he's only 20 months old. There's a whole bunch of stuff he can't do yet. But I call him my little man. I think when Jesus says to us, oh, you have little faith, he's not saying, oh, you have little faith. He's saying, oh, you have little faith. Come this way. Follow me. Learn from me. We're going to grow together. You're going to grow. And we're going to go on an adventure. So that's one question. I just want you to mull on as you read your Bible. Just be thinking about what's that voice in your head? 
What's that voice in your head as Jesus speaks to you? And then my second question is, is perhaps more linked to um, what we're going to dig into today. My second question is, as you, in your lives, perhaps in your own personal life or your life as a family or in your work, as you're planning and structuring and, and kind of making plans or, you know, you're budgeting or whatever it is, um, how, how, um, how present is God in those plans? Um, when you're looking forward and thinking about what's going to happen next month or next year, where's God in that picture as you're planning that out? Um, I ask that question because uh, as we've been planning and preparing for this move, there have been a few things that we've had needed to sort out. And there was a point where I was starting to feel quite anxious. I was really starting, there were some things that were really hard that were not really coming together very well. And, um, and I got to a point where I realized that I was, I was getting really bogged down and really, really kind of tied up around some of, the, some of the details of this stuff. But I realized that partly what was really getting to me was as I was looking forwards and I was trying to imagine what things were going to be like when we arrived in Leighton, God was nowhere in that picture. It was all about what am I going to do? What am I going to do when I get there or when this thing comes up or when I have to sort out this bit? What am I going to do? And I really felt God challenging me and say, like, Steve, when you're looking forward, when you're planning, when you're, when, you're, when you're kind of preparing for stuff, are you picturing me in that? Are you placing me in that picture? And where am I? Am I, am I the God who's with you and in control and seated on the throne? Or am I, like, off to the side somewhere? I think this is really important for us to kind of get our, our heads around. It's to try to draw in consciously God into into the things that we're praying for. And as we're, we're kind of planning or setting ourselves up, it's thinking about always remembering Actually, you know what, God, I know, this I know about you. You are almighty God. You know, that prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed, amazing prayer. God, we, I know that when we, I pray to you, you hear me and you answer me and you are able to provide. You are able to deliver me. You are able to save me. This is a really important prayer. I think that's really, and I think that's really the, at the heart of where Jesus is calling us to seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of, of God. I just want to just focus on those four words this morning. Seek first his kingdom. That's the heart of the value that we have. Seek first his kingdom. And I think we can be tempted to hear that command, seek first his kingdom. as like It's like a challenging ask. It's like a painful, difficult calling. It's almost like Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet and he's like, right, this is going to sort the wheat from the chaff, right? Seek first the kingdom. Sometimes we can imagine that maybe what he's saying is like, ah, oh, you have little faith. Why are you still bothering about all that, like that temporary stuff about like what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink? Like, why are you still so obsessed about that? Come on, seek first the kingdom. Like put that stuff out of the way. Seek first the kingdom. I think sometimes we can kind of hear it in that, that way. Um, and Obviously, it is challenging. Jesus is trying to be challenging in, in one sense. Because it, this, this call to seek first the kingdom, it challenges our mindset, doesn't it? It challenges our mindset in a society, in a world that says, seek first your kingdom. It says, look after number one. Like you've got to push yourself forward. You've got to lift yourself up because nobody else is going to do it for you. And Jesus comes into that world and into that culture and he says, no, there is somebody else. There's your heavenly father who knows you and loves you, who knows the number of hairs on your head. And he will lift you up. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will sustain you. So where our world sometimes says, like, you've got to seek your own kingdom. Jesus says, no, you've got to seek 
his kingdom, where it says, where the world says, you've got to seek your glory. Jesus says, no, no, no. Actually, it's found in seeking his glory. That's what you want to do. And it's not about where the world says you need to promote your own influence. You need to promote your own status or position. You need to, you need to be pushing yourself forward. Jesus says, no, actually, you know what? Promote his influence. Promote his glory. The world says, well, the way that you reach fulfillment is through experience, um, through consumption, through power. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Fulfillment is found in submission and in sacrifice and in service. So Jesus is trying to challenge that kind of mindset that says, it's all about, I've got to look after myself because there's nobody else. And Jesus says, i right about. But I think sometimes we can forget that the Jesus who says to us, seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of your heavenly father, is the same Jesus who says, I have come that they may have life and life in all its fullness. It's the same Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. It's the same Jesus and I think sometimes we, those verses, when we hear Jesus say those things, we think, ah, oh, yes, that's what I need. Like, I want life in all its fullness. I want to find rest for my soul. They, they feel like nice things that Jesus said. And then sometimes when he says, seek first the kingdom, that feels like a hard thing. That feels like a difficult thing. But actually, it's the same Jesus. And we can't sort of, it, it can be tempting to kind of like those things and then be like, I don't really know what to do with this one. So um, I'll kind of work on that a bit later, but actually as if they're somehow not connected. They're not interconnected. It's the same Jesus who is speaking the same message and telling us the same truth about the same God, about the same lives that we live. Seek first the kingdom has something to do with finding life in all its fullness. It has something important to do with finding rest for our souls. So it's really important. And actually, it's, I, when I hear Jesus say that, I don't actually so much hear it as, as like a, you know, come on, you need to snap out of this. You know, actually what Jesus is saying is it's an invitation. So, you know, you want those things. You, you want to find life in all its forms. You want to find re, um, rest. You want to find peace. Come this way. Don't seek your own kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Jesus elsewhere in um, Matthew's gospel, he describes the kingdom like a pearl of great price. Do you remember that parable? He says that this pearl is beyond price. That's the image he uses to describe the kingdom. Because you know, the other thing that is really, uh, that's really good for us to remember, the extraordinary thing about this whole call to seek first the kingdom is, I think sometimes it can feel really difficult, as if somehow the things we're being asked to give up actually, actually fulfill anything. <laughs> you know, it's as if the things we're being asked to to give up are really worth the same as God's kingdom, as all the things that he gives us. The, the things we've, we're being asked to, to kind of set aside in one sense as we look to Jesus, they, they can't offer life in all its fullness the way that Jesus does. And we sort of know that, but it's sometimes really hard to step into it, isn't it? It's sometimes it's really hard to keep remembering that to keep holding on to that, that this kingdom that we're being asked to set our eyes on is actually the pearl of great price, beyond price. And Jesus is inviting us into how we can attain, how we can reach that pearl of great price. And if, um, if you're sat there and um, you're slightly worrying that I'm trying to make this too easy and I'm kind of reading what I want into the text, um, 
I think part of where, how I've got to with this is when we read about Jesus' life in the Gospels, when we read of his encounters with people and the ministry that he had, the life that he lived, I think what we see and one of the important things for us to hold on to is that Jesus didn't live a meager life. He didn't, leave a, he didn't lead a bare life. He didn't lead a, like a minimalistic life. Jesus is often described as eating and drinking with crowds of people, right? The so-called tax collectors and sinners. It's actually one of the things he got in trouble for was the fact that he was always eating and drinking and he, was ne- he never seemed to be fasting. He never seemed to be taking religion very seriously. He got in trouble for hanging out with these people. The thing is, these people that they just called the tax collectors and sinners, I've got a feeling they knew how to have a good time, right? They knew how to have a good time. They knew what the world offered. And yet they saw something in Jesus that was so deeply attractional, something that they, they so deeply wanted. That they saw in Jesus the fullness of life in the flesh. They saw what it was really all about and they wanted it. They wanted to know where that came from and how they could get it. There was no like holier than thou false piety about Jesus. Like He lived life in the fullness and he enjoyed the good things that God gave him. And I'm sure, you know, lots of the kind of comforts that we maybe associate with, with modern life, sure, his life was probably simple. Jesus, I think, lived a simple life, but it wasn't a bare life. It wasn't a meager life. You see, the thing is, sometimes we can think seeking the kingdom is about like spending as, as little as much as little as possible on ourselves. It's about rejecting materialism, like asceticism. It's about it's about well, I can't possibly um, I couldn't I couldn't possibly get some have some nice food, or I couldn't possibly like buy myself a nice shirt or a nice jacket or something because I need to be seeking the kingdom. I had a really uh, wonderful friend through university. Um, who at one point I, w- I was meeting him and he, 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 he cycled to meet me. His bicycle had no pedals, so he was cycling on the bars that went through the center of the pedals. There were no brakes left, so he had to brake using the sole of his shoe. His belt had broken, so he just wrapped a string around his, through his trouser loops and he tied it up with string. And, and I, always think of, I always think of him and I'm like, Bless him. He came from a great place and he was really like, he was like, well, I just don't want to spend money on things. And I'm like, that's really wonderful. But I really don't think that, sometimes I think that's the image that we have in our minds. I don't think that's actually what Jesus is calling to. He was doing that for a whole bunch of other reasons as well, which were brilliant. But that's not actually what Jesus is calling us to. You know, the soldiers so admired Jesus's tunic that when they, when they crucified him, that they didn't want to tear it. So they cast lots for it. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus, in that moment, that culmination of his ministry, as he goes to the cross, is wearing a tunic that, is, that other people identify as being beautiful and of worth, that they don't want to d- damage it and just use it for cloth. They want so, what someone wants to own it so they can wear it. Isn't that interesting? I find that really fascinating about Jesus, that it wasn't so much about spending as little as possible on ourselves, that we couldn't, can't have anything that's nice, but that... What we might find as we follow Jesus on this road to seeking the kingdom is that some of those things perhaps have less of a grip upon us. They hold our lives. They weigh us down less. They, they are held perhaps in a different priority. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom? What is Jesus inviting us into? Well, if we remember at the start of Jesus' uh, ministry, He went around from town to town proclaiming, uh, repent and believe for the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
That's what Jesus said. Repent and believe for the kingdom has come near to you. What did he mean by that? What was he saying? That Jesus was actually coming into a place and he was saying, the kingdom has come near. Why had the kingdom come near? Because Jesus had come near. Jesus was bringing the kingdom to people and saying, the kingdom is near. Repent and believe. That actually somehow as he was in his presence, as he was sharing the, the message of God with people, the, the fullness, that forgiveness was available through him, that actually the kingdom was being birthed in people's lives. As people came to faith in Jesus, the kingdom was being birthed in their lives. The kingdom had come near because Jesus had come near. In some sense, Jesus and carried the kingdom with him. He was bringing the kingdom into people's lives. So in one sense, actually seeking to know Jesus, seeking to build a relationship with him, investing, inviting the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus is one of the ways that the kingdom comes in our lives. And the, one of the ways that the kingdom can then touch other people and other people's lives. That is and births the kingdom in our lives. So in one sense, that is one of the things that it means. And that's one of the places we can start. But also, I think there's a call, like I was saying, not just to act as though none of these material things have any meaning or that they really matter. And let's be honest, food and drink and, and clothes are the example that Jesus uses. But, you know, we could, there are so many things we could add to that, aren't there? We could add like our car or our home or we could add our work or any of the, the number of things. We, our society seems to have really... Um, seems to excel at finding things to worry about. Do you find that? This like anxiety that sits beneath the surface. We excel at that. And actually, it's not so much that Jesus is calling that, saying that none of these things really matter, but is a call to engage with them, to relate to them, um, to use them in light of the very particular God it is that we worship. Because we don't, do we, worship a distant, far-off God who is unconcerned with our lives, do we? We don't, right? We worship a God who is fully present, who became a human being, who's the incarnate God, the God of uh, the abundant, exuberant creator God. The one who filled the world with wonder and mystery and awe and who himself sparked our creativity. That's the God that we worship. And so when we're building our lives around him and as we're kind of seeking his kingdom, that God, that God, that character of God that he has revealed to us can fill our lives. That's only what we realize is, okay, when I'm working, I can be working for God to see his kingdom come because I want to be more like Jesus as I'm working to see his kingdom come in my workplace so that other people's lives might be touched by the presence of the kingdom that actually I'm going to seek him first. So it's not just about I'm in the workplace and I need to get myself ahead because no one else is looking out for me. But you know what? My, my God provides that for me. And you know I'm going to trust in him. And I'm just going to be faithful to him because I want to honor him. That as we're planning out what we're going to do with our, our finances or where we're going to go or, or how we're going to structure our families or, or any of these things, we're doing it in light of, you know, God, I want to somehow live in a way that shows people that I trust you to be my provider because that's what I believe, that's who I believe you are. That's who I believe you offer to be for me. And so I want to do that and, and seek your kingdom, seek the, your kingdom to come into my life in visible ways. 
because I want to follow you. I want to live the life that you live, that people see and go, there is something different going on in the decisions that you're making. There's something different going on. Why is that? Why do you seem to live according to different rules? And we can say, well, because I believe in a kingdom and a king who is with me and who is able to provide for me. And so, yes, I want to enjoy the things that this world, some of the things that this world has to offer. I want to be thankful to God that he's given them to me. And I'm going to trust in him that I can enjoy them for as long as I've got them. And when I don't have them, I still trust in him. Like where Paul says, I've learned to be content in all things because Jesus is for me and Jesus is with me. That's the heart. It's not, it's not just saying, well, okay, I don't want to have anything to do with those because they just draw me away. It's saying, well, I can you, you know what, God, in so far as you bring some blessing into my life, I'm going to enjoy it and I want to say thank you. And I want to draw other people in to enjoy the beautiful goodness of the Lord. But I'm going to trust you that you are providing, you're bringing this in. Is your kingdom first. I think there's also a call to practice the spiritual. I'm just going to close with this. There's a, a spiritual art, a spiritual discipline, if you like, that um, doesn't always get talked about a lot. But it's the, it's the spiritual art of contentment. The spiritual art of contentment. It's an unpopular word, I think. Um, just one small example of a way that we perhaps could live prophetically in our communities is that as we seek the kingdom, one of the ways that we seek the kingdom is we recognize that God, our creator, our provider, our sustainer, he has got us and we're going to put our trust in that. And so actually we can be content with what we have. It's hard, but we can seek to be content with his provision. And then what, what would that look like? If we, could all, if we could all do that, that people would look at us and say, hang on, you, you don't seem to, you, you seem really content. Where does that come from? How do you manage that? Our world is not a contented place. How do, how do you, and we can say, well, actually, I want to, it's because of this guy called Jesus. It's because of what he has done. I can be content. That God rejoices to provide for us. He isn't a mean landlord. He's not, he's not kind of doling out the tiniest pittance he possibly can each time something, you know, we're, we're coming to him in prayer. You know, when Jehoshaphat prayed, that was a big prayer he prayed. And God was more than big enough to cope with it. Let's be living for the kingdom that way. Let's be seeking the kingdom, the kingdom to come in our lives. I want to ask just to, as literally this is the finish, the last thing. What one area, I just want us to all to think. May you just take a moment? Can I, actually, why don't, can I just invite you to stand with me? And let's just take a moment of, of, of prayer. And I just want to invite you to, to as you pray, to, bring, uh, to ask God, what one area of my life could I practice this with this week? Could I practice, could I, what one area are you calling me to practice seeking first the kingdom? What one, where have I perhaps uh, started to push you out of the picture? Where have I perhaps stopped seeking your presence? Where have I stopped looking to you? Where have I begun to rely on myself? Maybe there's just one thing. Just make, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be big. It could be, it could be a really small thing. It could, just, it could be like a, a project at work or a single piece of work or it could, be, it could be a single relationship or it could be just one area of your family life. Just one thing, however small, and just say, actually, God, you know what? I've, I've, I've sort of written you out of the picture in that part of my life. God, you know, I want 
I want to seek your kingdom first. Jesus, help me to be more like you. Help me to live in the joy rest for my soul. And just pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We're just gonna we're just gonna come into a um time of communion. And this really is um this is the place where we recognise fully that we rely wholly upon Jesus. That He is our everything. And all that we receive, we receive by grace. Can we get the um, the words up on the screen? Just invite you to continue to listen and pray. So we join together with the, if everyone joins in in the words in yellow. So the Lord is here. His spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. In your love, you made us for yourself. When we turned away, you did not reject us, but you came and you met us in your son. You embraced us as your children and welcomed us to sit and eat with you. In Christ, you shared our life that we might live in him and he in us. He opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice for sin. On the night that he was betrayed, At supper with his friends, he took bread and he broke it and gave it to them and gave you thanks and saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We do this in remembrance of him. His blood is shed. At the end of supper, taking a cup of wine, he gave you thanks and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of him. His blood is shed for all. And so as we proclaim his death and celebrate his rising in glory, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit that this bread and this wine may be to us the body and the blood of your dear Son, As we eat and drink these holy gifts, make us one in Christ, our risen Lord. And so with your whole church throughout the world, 
we offer you this sacrifice of praise and lift our voice to join the eternal song of heaven, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the heart in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. So we break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. So draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We uh, welcome all who know and love the Lord to share at his table here this morning. Um, the, you'll be invited up, um, I think, row by row, if you could, could just come up and form one um, uh, line through the centre of the church. Um, and uh, we'll have bread and wine, and we have gluten-free bread and alcohol-free wine. Um, so if you require um, any of that, then please do just ask um, and if for any number of uh, very good reasons um, you, you would prefer not to receive anything, but you would like to receive a prayer instead, if you just come up and keep your hands um, down by your side, then um, I can pray a short prayer of blessing over you. But as we come, let's just let's be thankful to our God who is our provider, uh, who has in Jesus made a way for us to enter into his kingdom and to commit our lives afresh to live for him. Amen. Let's come together. As we receive, we're going to just worship 
the Lord, and I encourage you to join in uh, as we worship. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. He is risen from the dead. And he's my Lord, and my knee shall bow, and my tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, uh -huh. 